Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Circle. On this week's Off the Circle, we are going to be talking about growth in Indiana and how different groups can participate in that growth. Listen to indie-based entrepreneurs and business people. Learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way. Off the Circle, the Indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before. Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Circle. Here with my, I, I got two co-hosts today, so this is special, huh? Yeah, hi. This is Frank Leonard. I'm uh, CEO of Leonard McDowell, and uh, great to have an opportunity to speak with several guests we have with us today about a focus on growing Indiana business and supporting the business community in Indiana. So next, we'll introduce Emily. My name is Emily Schambeckler. I'm Director of Communications for Leonard McDowell. I'll be speaking briefly on women in tech and how Indianapolis is a hub for growing that sector. Uh, and I'm Wes Zirkel. I'm a, an attorney. Don't hold that against me. I'm also an ex a business advisor. And, you know, my passion is really helping businesses uh, get over the hump and what's preventing them from succeeding and, and helping them to make money. So I'll be talking a little bit about entrepreneurship and some of the opportunities that I see that Indiana has for, for growth in the future. Hi, and I'm Harry Howe with Howe Leadership. I'm here this afternoon because I've got a lot of lawyer jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be on the after show. Oh, got it, got it. <laughs> well, Wes is our guest. We can't do that to him right up front. <laughs> you know, I actually like lawyer jokes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Where do we want to start? I, I, before the show, we were talking a little bit about some of our challenges. Uh, do we want to start with that? Yeah, I think that'd be helpful. I'd like to hear a little bit more about Wes's background because I think he's got a diverse background. Uh, not all attorneys have as much business experience as Wes does, both on a privately owned companies and companies that have gone public. And, you know, I think one of the challenges for entrepreneurs in Indiana is, is figuring out when to bring in resources and, and, you know, make sure they don't spend too much money as they're trying to grow. And I think a lot of times you can get really good advice from people like Wes. So if you could just tell us a little bit about your broad base of experience, I think that might be helpful. Yeah, sure. And everything I'm about to tell you, I completely planned out from the start. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's been a kind of a random, uh, happy accident career. I actually started out representing celebrities, um, believe it or not, here in Indiana and working in celebrity licensing and sports marketing and that kind of thing. And then went to, because of the sports marketing experience, um, was recruited to join, which was at that point, a small marketing agency called JMI. Uh, to be their first ever attorney and general counsel uh, where I created their legal department. Um, if you're familiar with that organization, um, it ended up being quite large. I joined, I was the 28th employee in the company's history. I know that because my initial email login was WZRKLE28. Um, <laughs> and when we finished, we were a global company almost 170 employees, the United States, second largest office in London, Germany, Hong Kong, Singapore. Wow. Yes. And in 2000, I joined in 2004. In 2008, we took on private equity investment. So I don't have an MBA, but I joke that I got an MBA from Spire Capital Partners. Um, as private equity goes, they were pretty good to us. Taught us how to be business people, 
how to read financial statements, how to strategic plan. And we went through the fire with them because after they acquired us, the recession hit. And we had a lot of work to do. We grew internationally because the market wasn't as elastic uh, in the same way the United States was at that point. So we grew by taking on the world. And so we expanded aggressively globally, uh, sought out global marketing programs. I was responsible for growing the legal side of that, the compliance, and also the business side. I did strategic planning for the company as well. And it was an awful lot of fun. We ended up growing the company 2.2x during the Great Recession. And we sold to a public company, an English public company. And that was another experience as well. And lived that for two and a half years before I decided it wasn't any fun to be owned by an English public company. <laughs> and decided to try other things. So in a, in a snapshot, that's my career. But as so many people, I, and we'll touch on this, I think, in Indiana do, they sort of take their experiences and hide. And I don't want to do that. I think there are too few resources available to business people uh, in Indiana, and I want to be a resource. I've been through that, and a guy like me should probably be in a big company, and, and maybe will be someday. But for now, I'm available, and I would like to help people. So, so Wes, I'm curious. Uh, you've had um, a, a very non-traditional career. What, what are some of the character traits that you have that you believe brought you success in these you know, very different worlds, so to speak. Uh, is there something in particular that you feel has been that uh, key for you in, in these many different roles? Harry, you ask really good questions. I think the answer to that is always trying to figure out how to get where I'm supposed to go. The... Um, the challenge is I think a lot of people sit and they, they look at challenges and say, this is, this is bigger than me. I can't do this. And that was one of the characteristics that as a, as a young man, I decided I needed to overcome. And it wasn't easy. And I, if I can tell a real story and if I can just say one swear word because it's a, it's a direct quote. Um, I, could, I could bleep it. You could bleep it. <laughs> the, the, the trial by fire moment in my career where that was tested was, as I said, JMI was purchased by, by a, a, a private equity firm. They came forward, we went through the process, and being an entrepreneurial company, our books weren't in a condition they should have been, our processes weren't in a condition they should have been, and the process was very chaotic and not good. And the people that were supposed to be leading this weren't doing a good job of it. And our CEO, I don't know if he wanted to trust me, but I think I was the only guy that he thought could, could do it. And I remember working late one night, and I was driving home. It was very dark, and he calls me. And he doesn't usually call me like at 8.30 at night, but he called me, and I picked up. And I said, how can I help? And he says, Wes, he says, this is really important to me, getting this deal done and I'm gonna ask you to do it. I said, thank you. He said, but I wanna tell you something. And this is a direct quote. He said, if you fuck this up, I will kill you. <laughs> and I believed him. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> and the next several months were brutal. And I negotiated against private bankers and 
accountants and auditors and New York-based lawyers and our lawyers, and it was the hardest, most difficult thing I've ever done, the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And that is a long way, you know, Harry, of explaining that that's when I realized I could do that, that, you know, you could be presented a big challenge and just put your nose down and get through it. It'll be okay. And we got the deal done, and my CEO actually hugged me in New York City after he closed the documents. How do you... Curious question mm. with that. Mm. How how do you think being a Hoosier assisted with that? You know, what was the climate that enabled that to happen? You know, it's interesting, and I don't know if it's being a Hoosier or I'm a Hoosier. I have a very calm demeanor, and I don't get wound up very often. And, you know, the we had some, there was some yelling on the New York side, and I remember having an argument with, uh, with our investment banker because our books weren't in a condition they should have been. And, and he was asking, I was basically playing a kind of a CFO role, if you will. And he was trying to coach me how to create financials. I remember losing my temper. This is true. And he said, Hey, Wes, he said, I don't understand why you can't do this. And I said, because I'm a bleeping lawyer, Josh. Yeah. And, but for the most part, we were, I was completely calm. And I think that's the Hoosier sensibility about me. I had a job to do. Getting wound up wasn't going to help us. And I was going to be a dead man if I didn't get the deal done. (laughs) So I was going to get the deal done. And that's just the way it was. No emotion, no passion. I just did it. Well, that, I, I, I almost feel like I was, I was literally just in a conversation with someone the other day. I feel like ego and emotion are the two things that really just destroy businesses. Mm -hmm. You know that that and one of the things that I'll say that I that I always feel is when I get to the table with another Hoosier, is that we're often just focused on the what the problem is. What's the problem? How are we going to fix this problem? And and sometimes when I work out of state, I hear the ego and I hear mm-hmm. the emotion and I hear the you know and I'm and I'm like why 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 are people getting upset? Well, this is just a business problem that we need <laughs> to fix, you know, and so. Um, it's just an observation from my standpoint that I almost feel like the climate here is a lot more, I don't know what, I don't want to say professional, but targeted at fixing the problem. No, I absolutely agree, Doug. I, I, we're very resolution-minded. You take the ego out of it. it again, it, it's just our Hoosier sensibility. We need to get something done. We're going to get it done. It doesn't mean there's not some arrogant Hoosiers around. Sure there are, but. Well, maybe we need to be more arrogant. Uh, yes. We talked about that a little bit, <laughs> Yeah, we bit did. Too. We did. <laughs> Emily, I'm wondering, uh, are are you a native Hoosier? And uh, if so, how has that maybe shaped your career? Yes, I'm actually originally from southern Indiana, from Newburgh, which is by Evansville. I've been in Indianapolis for about four and a half years. And down in southern Indiana, there, there just isn't the type of job market that we have here in the city. So I really feel passionate about not only educating our students and people, they, I want to retain that talent here. We, we need to empower folks to get their education and stay here. And it, it's not necessary for them to move out of town because we don't have jobs here in Indiana. Many jobs are available in the tech field and especially for women. There's actually an organization called Indie Women in Tech that seeks to empower women and girls to get into these technology fields and feel inspired and compelled that they can do it. And if they have the idea of 
maybe it's I'm not cut out for it. It might be too hard. Just go after it and make it happen. Mm-hmm. And you so, know, so take the emotions out of it. If someone wanted to know more about this organization, say the name again, and how would they find out more? Yeah, the organization is called Indie Women in Tech, and their website is IndieWIT.com. There's so much information on there about pathways to getting more education, how the barriers to entering this field are largely constructed in our mind that we need to look past that and as I said just go after it it might be scary to switch careers if you're already in a different industry or you don't know what you want to major in in college you know the coding jobs when we're in an increasingly digital world and everything's running on the cloud having these technology skills are key and very marketable no matter really what you're interested in it can transfer so maybe we ought to put in a plug for 1150. We're yeah. sitting here recording this at Launch Fishers, and uh, I believe, Frank, you had said you'd been to 1150, as did Emily. I, I went through a uh, class myself, and uh, so they're, they're right here. Uh, Frank, put in a plug for the, uh, the guys 1150. Yeah, I think, excuse me, Emily brought up some excellent points. And, um, you know, Scott Jones is very passionate about finding coders and avoiding the brain drain, figuring out how we can train more people to write code so that they can stay local. In fact, I was on a call with him today with the University of Southern Indiana about bringing the 1150 Academy down to Evansville. And so he's trying to duplicate his model that's had so much success here in Fishers so they can help find, you know, more jobs in those Evansville communities, those Terre Haute communities, those Crawfordsville communities, so that when they have technology in their community, they have a base of potential hires, you know, that do understand coding skills. And so I think what Emily mentioned about women in tech, and and they're actually helping subsidize funds to help these people get the training. So there's a lot of organizations that are really trying to focus on you know, helping the Indiana economy by doing training and, and coding boot camps are, are, are a big way to help with that uh, issue. I think the, you know, I was just at a uh, Salesforce event too. Uh, they have a couple programs, Pathfinder, they have VetForce, which is, you know, hiring veterans and stuff. And one of the things that I think that people uh, underestimate is they think, like you took a course at 1150. Are you a professional programmer? No, I have a moderate understanding of HTML, but I actually found out about 1150 Academy from a sponsored Facebook ad. Caught my attention. I I realized it was a free intro course. I I thought, well, what do I have to lose? Yeah. I honestly had such an interest in learning more after I left after that first class, and the facility is amazing. I would definitely encourage anyone who is completely green even just to check it out. And that's and that's it was a leading question, <laughs> and the, the the reason why is because the ecosystem around technology is incredible, and so I would encourage everybody to go take a course just from a knowledge standpoint, because you know you could uh, Salesforce. There's a huge, huge demand here for supporting companies. I was looking, business intelligence, ERP, uh, CRM are the top, cybersecurity are all top hiring 
you know, uh, pockets in the technology fields here. And the thing is, is you don't have to be a coder, but if you have a familiarity with coding, it just kind of lends itself right into one of those jobs where you might be an account manager, a support manager, um, you know, obviously even from a, you know, tech, from a legal standpoint, cybersecurity standpoint, everything else. And so I, I think one of the things that people vastly underestimate is how you can just get a little bit of technology information and you can jump straight into a high paying job that pays really well. They're going to train you. They're going to give you the resources, everything else. Um, that's one diatribe. The second one is women in tech. I, it, it is, it's incredible when you go to like, when you look at like India and it's predominantly women that are programmers and, and mathematicians and everything else. And then they get to the United States and it's, the opposite. It's so bizarre to me. And I had the incredible pleasure of working with, um, you know, women at, uh, back then it was exact target, you know, and they were, our, they were our best programmers, you know, and I, and it's always strange to me how there's something culturally going on in the United States that is pushing women away from technology when, you know, we still, we absolutely need that gender diversity within that field. So that, that's just a comment. I think that was a softball for, for <laughs> you, was Emily. That? Go for it. <laughs> On that note, uh, I think there are a lot of stereotypes that maybe are portrayed in the media, just historical, that technology and coding, these are skills that are male-dominated. And I think a lot of people have that in their head still. Yeah. But in my opinion, that's an outdated idea. It is. And people, as I said... Earlier, if you feel compelled and interested in it, even just a little bit, go after it and try it. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, you can go after it, try it, say, well, this isn't something I want to do eight hours a day, but there's 18 other job positions that because you have a little bit of that knowledge that you can get into. Exactly. Yeah. I do email marketing and it's helped me so much to learn HTML and a little bit of CSS. I'm able to put together more professional looking emails that yeah. my my company they didn't have this um anybody with this expertise on staff before so it's definitely brought a lot i think to our communications internally and externally that's awesome and emily tell us a little bit about your other experiences you've had in your career in terms of working with the real estate association and the indiana legislators yeah so i started out working for the indiana house of representatives as a media and pr intern working directly with legislators writing press releases columns and op-eds on their behalf interviewing them i learned a lot about legislation that affects indiana business working at the state house and that led me then to work at the indiana association of realtors and so i did a lot of research on the real estate markets across the state and when it comes to home values, they're definitely on the rise. We're seeing incredibly low inventory compared to the past because people are moving to Indianapolis because the business is growing here. I would just like to see that in other parts of the state. Frank had mentioned the University of Southern Indiana where 1150 is looking to expand to. That's actually my alma mater, that's where I'm from. And I think it would be amazing if we had that there. there. There's nothing like that in Evansville right now. And I think it'd be actually a huge resource to the community and would be an incentive for USI students to stay in town. 
I moved to Indianapolis two weeks after graduating college because I knew that the work I wanted wasn't there. So that's a perfect example of why people leave. Well, and I think that's an excellent point. And I think one, you know, one of the good things about our current uh, legislation is they're very supportive. Indiana Economic Development, they're looking to help fund some of these projects that Scott Jones is working on in these various communities. So, so I think you know, the current um, governor has a good understanding and appreciation for investing in jobs and opportunities that will help those communities. You know, rural broadband, I think they've uh, earmarked $100 million for that. So that's another issue that kind of helps prevent people from working in some of these communities because if you don't have the technology or the broadband in some of these rural areas, it's hard for tech to go there. So I, I do like the fact that the governor's working on a lot of different initiatives that will help communities like Terre Haute, et cetera. Wes, I'm curious, uh, uh, you've been working in, you know, obviously with all of these businesses for a while. You worked for a company that took off from nothing to, you know, global. What do you, what do you tell young entrepreneurs here in the area or, or, or young startups that are growing? What do you see as their challenges, you know, to, to kind of take that next step and break into that next phase of their business? Well, there's a, there's a lot going on. And the, the real challenge, and this isn't unique to tech entrepreneurs, as any entrepreneur, is, is typically the, the thing that gets you started, the skills that get you started aren't the skills that are going to make your business grow. Uh, you may be a very good coder, for example, but you may get to a point where you're, you've developed your software and now you have a business and now you don't know what to do. Um, being biased, I would tell anybody, get a lawyer and an accountant as soon as you possibly can. Why? You're going, if without those expertise, you're going to make mistakes that are gonna cost you far more than their bills. Entrepreneurs get to a point where they plateau. Once they plateau, they don't know how to get over the hump. And that's where you rely on experts um, like myself, like, like say, Plenty of accountants out there that can they can help as well. Mentors are very important. People who have been through this, and I tell you know entrepreneurs all the time, find somebody you trust, let them help you. Ask lots of questions and don't be afraid about criticism. Just because you founded the company doesn't mean you should be the CEO. Yeah. Right? Right? Because the CEO is responsible for sales, strategic direction of the company, and that may not be your thing. And it's okay. One other thing I might say, because I'm having a conversation with a client about this right now who wants to give equity, and I, I counsel against that, especially at the young, young you know, is because when you, don't, when you don't have anything, you're like, well, I have shares in a company. I have units in an LLC. I, I guess I can give those away. Somebody will give me money for that. And that's true. They will, but it's really expensive money in the beginning. It's very expensive money. So say you, you, know, you value your company at $500,000 and you give 10%. You got $50,000. Well, if you grow to $10 million, do the math. That money cost you an awful lot of money. And so I try to counsel entrepreneurs on different strategies you can do to mitigate that hit. There are all kinds of legal strategies, different types of loans that you can use. Additionally, I'll say even on the sale process, you've gotten to a point where maybe you say, well, I've gotten as much juice out of this as I can. I'm smart enough to know it's not me. Me and my four buddies can't do this. I'm interested in being acquired. And what happens is these buyers, 
Sometimes they're sophisticated, sometimes they aren't, but usually have the same result, they're lowballing you. And they want to do an all-cash deal, and they want to pay you over three years, and you have the conversation like, no, wait a minute, if I took that, if I just sat here and did nothing, I'd make that much money. Uh, what am I? And you're stuck in a rock and a hard place because you know you can't run the company the way you want it to. You know that deal doesn't feel good. What do you do? Again, there are all kinds of things you can do to bridge that gap that even potential buyers don't know about. There are really interesting insurance products, and I'm not going to get into it and geek out about it, but there are things that buyers can do uh, to help bridge that gap that, say, bear interest over time. And you know, if you're looking for a million dollars, maybe they actually fund 200000 of it, but over a series of years, it becomes a million dollars. So I think the overall point there, Doug, is, is the advice I start giving them is you, you have to listen. You have to listen to their goals. Um, and by the way, if they don't have goals, and the first thing, and I think you know, Harry would agree with this, build a strategic plan. Absolutely know what you're going to do and how you're going to get there, what your differentiators are, what your target audiences are, and what your KPIs, meaning key performance indicators. And I, and I would add to that uh, knowing what success looks like, and that's perhaps what you have, have meant when you said goals, because for some people, success means um, a lot of money. For others, success looks quite differently, and uh, it's important that everybody be on the same page and be very self-aware of what success is, because it's not the same for everyone. No, you're absolutely right, and I would advocate, if we can go on the strategic plan tangent for a second, the reason I tell my clients to build a strategic plan, whether through me or someone else, is because the hard decisions will be answered for you. I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise a thousand times. If you take the time to build a proper strategic plan, there isn't a single difficult question you will face that will not be answered by that plan. And it sounds like voodoo, it isn't. Should we buy this? Should we invest in this person? Should we take this offer? Should we move to this city? It will all be answered by a plan because as you said, Harry, you've articulated your goals, you've articulated what's important to you, how you're going to measure that, everything is answered. So I think that's a long rambling way. There's a lot of things I try to counsel entrepreneurs no, and clients great. on. Uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's more than, and as you said, I haven't said anything about how to build your LLC. <laughs> that's easy stuff. Right, right. It's the soft skills that are really hard and they're really important for entrepreneurs. One of the, one of the things that you touched on that I thought is really important to, to put out here too is asking for help. Mm. Um, I feel like uh, a lot of businesses are afraid, or uh, especially young entrepreneurs, they start a business and they think they have to pay for everything. They think they they don't realize that they could just go ask mm -hmm. someone, and that and and the business leaders in town will give you their time graciously. And and I'm always I always ask, you know, people, you know, they that you know they're in trouble some way or shape or form, and I'm like, why didn't why didn't you give me a call? Well, I don't. I can't afford you, and I don't have any budget. Like, well, that's not what I said. <laughs> you know, why didn't you give me a call? And it's because other people helped me. You know, I, I often tell the story. Harry helped me. You know, uh, uh, has been helping me for a decade now. Uh, Matt Nettleton, another guy in town, that helped me with no money up front. You know. Um, my attorney, my first attorney was David Castor. I said, David, I don't have any money. He goes, 
send over the contract. I'll help you with it and close the contract. And then I, I could pay a bill, That's you right. know? And so I'm always, I'm always. Chris Baggett helped you out too, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm always surprised at the number of people in town that they think that they have to pay for everything. They think that they have to have, look, we know you're broke. <laughs> you're an entrepreneur. You're a startup. You're well, exactly right. Yeah. And I think that's part of the beauty of Indianapolis that I, I'm not sure that would be the same elsewhere in the country, but here, uh, I'm just overwhelmed by the generosity yeah. of of people. The Hoosier hospitality. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it does. It 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 has its downsides, which we can talk about if we want to. But by and large, I absolutely agree. And and this state, this town especially, is incredibly accommodating. You're 100 percent right, Doug. Yeah. Call people; they will give you help. Call me; I'll give you. I'll let you know when it's time to pay the bill. Um, right. But, you know, I, the same thing you said, Doug, I sat down with a client. I, I, I entered, made a good introduction for him, somebody who was in the same industry who had been there, done that. And my client was so impressed. He's like, I need your help full time. Can I just give you equity? And he, went, he actually went, no, no, hold on. Son. I'm helping you because I like you and other people helped me. And it's, time, it's my turn to Boom. pay back. That's exactly And right. my client couldn't believe. He's like, you're, you're going to give me all of this information for free? He's like, yes, because other people did it for me. And that's the way it works. And and when we see the opportunity for a business to succeed, we know that that's a good business decision as well. That's right. I don't I don't want to run people out of money when they're first starting <laughs> up. You know, I, I want them to get to that phase where they go, I think we're about where we can hire you. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's great. That's where I want to get you to. I don't I don't want to run you out of money. So yeah, great sure. feedback. Um, Emily, uh, we've been giving out free advice here. What, what advice might you give to a uh, young woman who is considering uh, a career in technology or something of that like that? Well, going back to 1150 Academy, I would definitely recommend that they take the intro to coding course. Because in addition to email marketing, I also do website maintenance. And knowing those coding skills is, has been so helpful. And, you know, just I would urge women to reframe the narrative about what they think they can achieve in the field. Reconsider the roadblocks and the barriers that might be in the way and just go for it. I think your key right there, go for it. Anybody else, just do it. And if it doesn't work out, it's not for you. At least you've tried. Yeah. Well, and Wes, why don't you comment a little bit on some of the opportunities for Indiana or Indianapolis in particular, maybe around that go for it attitude about things we can do better. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the first thing we need to do is, is own how amazing we are. And if there's one thing I want anybody to take away from this, I have been a lifelong Hoosier. I've lived in Indianapolis almost 20 years. Stop apologizing for being from Indiana. Okay? It is not a hindrance. It's not, we are amazing. Stop acting like a flyover state and be a badass. Okay? Just own it. And, and I'm tired of, 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 of this mentality is like, well... I'm from Indiana. Yeah, you're from Indiana. You have a different set of sensibilities. Now, I'm not saying act like you're from Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. You know, take take the best parts of being so, a Hoosier. Sorry, Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his daughter's name. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, the, uh, but, but, but really, we are an amazing community, and we don't do a good job of marketing ourselves. 
um, whether it be in tech or in, in sports. I'll, I'll, I'll go off and, and kind of rail on sports for a minute. We are genuinely one of the greatest sports cities maybe in the world. Okay, and I'm talking not just yes. We have the Indianapolis 500, and you know people were like when the when the Super Bowl came out, they're like, "Wow, you guys did a really nice job with." Super Bowl. Of course we did. We host the single biggest sporting event on the planet every year. This was easy, right? And people don't understand the infrastructure that is here, and I don't think we as a community understand the infrastructure that is here, yeah. from sports medicine. Uh, to attorneys, to agencies, to marketers, to uh, sports technologists that are all here in town. And we don't talk to each other. And the city doesn't own it. Um, I have complained for years and years, and I know I've complained about it for at least uh, 16 years, because I remember having a conversation with my friend Frank, who's general counsel of the Pacers, and then I relayed that conversation to my wife during our honeymoon. So that's how I know how long this conversation went. And I made the comment that Nashville didn't go around asking for permission to be Music City. They didn't call New Orleans and St. Louis and L.A. and say, hey, do you mind? No, they just did it. And they put it on billboards, and they put it on postcards, and they put it on TV ads, and they became Music City USA, okay? Even though there are other cities that do a lot of music, why don't we just say, we're the sports capital of the world, or we are the sport, or the, the technology capital of the Midwest or whatever, just own it. I'll tell, I'll tell you a little insider in West. You probably didn't know this, so I was on the on the pre committee for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was before before we even went for it. And so so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a secret that every, that the whole world can take advantage of now. But we did an absolute incredible job at producing content and organic search results that said Indianapolis was going to be selected for the Super Bowl. <laughs> and we totally put it out there. And so when people searched for where is the Super Bowl, it came up Indianapolis all over the country. <laughs> and it, now I'm not going to say that that's why we got it, but it was one of those things that look, let's put our f- flag in the ground and say, we're going to be the we're place that win. gets it, you know, and stop, like you said, stop, you know, stop apologizing or, you know, be in second. I, I totally agree. You're hitting all my nerves today. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, let's go down the list, right? We have the high school sports association here. We have the NCAA, we have the Indiana sports Corps, which does an incredible job around the country about bringing venues in. We have obviously, you know, the uh, Lucas oil stadium and we have the new convention center we have like there you have usa track and field yeah and i won't even i we this is another podcast but esport is growing in this town in a way huge don't realize yeah Uh, again i have a client who is very big in this space and he's not talking about because he's too busy yeah and he wants me to start talking about it which we'll do maybe some other time but that's happening as well and that's a playoff of tech yeah. So, but uh, we need to keep it in perspective. Uh, the glass is is half full in the sense, no doubt, in the sense that there has been improvement, growth, and uh, Doug and I often chat about the IBJ Technology Breakfast. Where back a number of years ago, the big deal was there were no direct flights to the coasts, and, uh, and that has changed. So many things have changed for the positive, even in the last five years. 
Um, we're not where we want to be, but we've we've made good progress, and I think it's important we acknowledge that. It but, is is important. I'll say, but but what winds me up is I believe what'll fill the glass the rest of the way is a very simple marketing program. I think filling the glass is super easy, and that's what gets me wound up. Well, to to your point, like when you when you look at some of that stuff too, though, you know Scott Jones right on direct flights to San Francisco. You know, it wasn't the it wasn't necessarily the city and a combined effort or anything like that. It was Scott going, I'm sick and tired <laughs> of getting a connecting flight. You know, I think with 1150, he did the same thing. Well, and I think he Scott went, invested a million dollars personally in advocating for the time zone change. Yeah. Because I think the biggest concern with, the, you know, having direct flights was, you know, the time change. Because all these airlines were going to keep track of this time changing all the time to do the direct flights. So it's a lot of different factors that went into consideration. Well, and, I, and I know 1150, uh, he got GI Bill, you know, certification for veterans. It was it was one of the first private, you know, private non-credited, you know, trade and, and schools. That's a podcast in itself of the we, hurdles we, that we had to, to go yeah. through for that. But, but it wasn't an organization or collective that helped. It was him just going... We got to get this. How are we going to get this? How are we going to do it? And so to your point, I do feel like there's strength in numbers. And if we did get organized in such a way that we'd be I, unstoppable, we'd be unstoppable. I, I totally agree. The, I mean, and combine all the other things, cost of living here, you know, the climate, you know, data, lifeline data centers, we'll throw them, you know, the, we don't have hurricanes, we don't have, we're not in a desert, we don't have water problems, we don't have earthquakes, you know, like it's, it's a great place, you know, from a technology standpoint to absolutely invest in. And so it's, uh, I, I, yeah, I think we need a collective let's let's build it let's build, let's build it, build it. Sure. let's <laughs> yeah. go for it like emily said and one of the best things about indianapolis is we have all these opportunities but the cost of living is so low compared to san francisco and for consistent example. yeah right yeah. and obviously indiana is not just a, a blip on the map salesforce decided to relocate here we were a top contender for amazon's hq we're no, getting noticed by these huge companies, and I think it's just going to even grow in the next five years. Well, and and, and I'm going to say it: good choice on the on on our leaders by not getting Amazon, because <laughs> I think those cities are going to get soaked. You're right. I initially got excited and started thinking, "Is this a good idea?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you start looking at the yeah. the overall cost, it's it's incredible. So that's that's probably a, a good note to kind of bring to some closure to the whole conversation about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, Wes, you know, uh, we always like to, you know, end this, you know, uh, uh, with, you know, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, sure. What kind of client or uh, or prospects are you looking for to meet with? How can you help them? You know, all of those pieces. Well, sure. And I will, I'll put a plug in again. The, the glass is definitely uh, probably more than half full. And one of the, the best parts about being a Hoosier, and especially in this town, is the phones are, are open. People will network. People will talk to you. So please take advantage of that. And to that end, I, I actually I'll give you my personal email address because maybe that's the best way to do it. But uh, that is Wes at WesleyZirkle.com. Maybe I should have done WesZirkle.com, but it's WesleyZirkle.com. So Spell your name. It is uh, Wes, W-E-S, at W-E-S-L-E-Y, Z-I-R-K-L-E. Good German name. 
Um, but I am just who I want to work with is just people who who felt like they've, they've hit that plateau, don't really know what happens next, and, and give me a call. I'm happy to to talk you through your options. That's awesome, Harry. Uh, let's close. Sure. Uh, and as we do, I want to put in a uh, a quick promo for Indie Grit Community. We've got an event coming up March 7, our first uh, 2019 event. The URL is indygrit.community. And uh, we are trying to uh, enhance the grittiness of our Indianapolis entrepreneurial community. And uh, we kind of consider ourselves the unnetworking event. So I hope a lot of you will join us. And and I, I I've gotten to speak there and gotten to attend. I think that's a it's another important event here in town. Um, you know, we talked about failure, I think, and trying things and 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 uh, you know, going out of your way. I think Indie Grit Community is a great one that basically showcases people and companies that took risk that made it through disastrous sometimes, you know, uh, efforts, but came out on top because they took that risk. And I think people in business, again, you know, a lot of times people are risk averse. And, and, uh, my personal opinion with that is if you don't take risk, you're never going to, you're never going to get where you, you, you know, the, you're not going to fill that gap in opportunity that's absolutely there for you. All right, uh, Leonard McDowell, next. Yeah, no, this is Frank Leonard again, and I can be reached uh, via my cell phone, 317-407-0642. We primarily focus on helping Indiana businesses through outsourced sales and business development, uh, currently working with Lifeline Data Centers and also the 1150 Academy. And I, I want to give a plug for Wes because he's been very helpful and a good mentor for me as I'm building my own business. And uh, he and I both went to Wabash College together, but... Uh, Wes would be a good resource for you if you're one of these companies that maybe has plateaued and would like to figure out how to get to the next level. And Emily's been helping me as my director of communications, and so I really appreciate having her on our staff as well. And a shared client that I already mentioned, Lifeline Data Centers, uh, for people here in Indianapolis, especially Mm -hmm. IT um, directors, maybe and above, uh, uh, Lifeline Data Centers has an incredible um, lunch and learn that's just about every week, you know, obviously around holiday season and stuff, it's, it's turned off, but come out for a free lunch and you get these experts there like Rich Banta, who I can't say enough nice things about that talks about compliance issues and, and, uh, threats and, and security issues. And of course, data center, you know, hosting, but his level of knowledge is so deep. It's another, we were talking before the show about, you know, experts within our community that people don't even know exists. You know, Rich is that guy that travels all over the all over the country, travels to Washington, consults with, you know, politicians on <laughs> regulations, and people don't even know that he's sitting right here in our backyard. And wh- where are these lunch and learns held? They're held at Eastgate Mall Data Center, so Lifeline Data Center. Oh, yeah, 401 North Shadeland. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Rich is a tremendous resource. And Lifeline Data Centers, you know, back to our Indiana theme, is one of the only existing data centers that's wholly owned by Indiana people. Most of them are consolidating and and owned by you know other companies that aren't based here in Indiana. So if you want to kind of build that Indiana theme, Lifeline Data Center would be a good alternative for you versus going just to Amazon Web Services. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, it's not the Eastgate one, but there are data 
they have a data center that is among the most hardened in the in the world, right? Doug? Well, the the Eastgate is oh, one the of one? them, but their next one that's coming online is uh, Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is actually they they built their own um, EMP shield, which is which is incredible electromagnetic prote- ele- electromagnetic protection. I don't know. Anyways, it's basically yeah pulse. There you go. Um, so that's basically you know one of one of the dangers of uh, both nuclear and not necessarily explosive nuclear is that people can wipe out all your electronics with an electromagnetic pulse or and, solar flare. Yeah, or, or solar flare, and so people don't even realize this, but you know our country could be in real trouble if that happened. And so they're opening up Fort Wayne, and they actually patented their EMP shield and everything else. And so that that's the kind of guys that live here you know, in Indianapolis are, are just these entrepreneurs that figure out how to get it done. And so I can't say enough things about Lifeline. Yeah. I, and interestingly enough, they've got a patent on how to build an EMP data center at about a 15th of the cost it might cost anybody else. So, yeah. so there's some Indiana innovation for you. Yeah. Well, and, and again, another um, example of who, very unassuming, humble yeah. people, that you know, and I—that's what I love about uh, yeah. the what Emily you described as the Hoosier hospitality. These people aren't pretentious. No, I I was there when when they first purchased Eastgate Mall from the city because it was a blighted, you know, basically old mall that was. Um, I would go over there, and Rich and Alex, the owners of this company, that you know, I, I don't even know how much it's worth now. They were in coveralls you know, sweeping up messes. And we would we would sit at a card table in the middle of the Burlington Coat Factory <laughs> with dust all over the place. Now you go over there, four, I think it's four megawatt solar uh, power. Uh, you know, you walk inside and it looks like NASA. And they, and, and they didn't do that with, you know, a third party, you know, cash influx or anything else. They sold the copper out of the data center to fund the development of the data center and everything else. These are guys that's just scrappy. It's an incredible story. That's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's a good example of grit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, we, have well, to, we have to get those guys. Yeah. So thanks, everybody. for. Uh, we will have, obviously, all the links in the show notes and contact information. Uh, if you're interested in Off the Circle and getting your story heard, uh, please get a hold of us through the site. And then, of course, if you enjoyed the show, please put a review up. That always helps us, especially when people are searching for an Indianapolis podcast that's a little bit different. So thank you. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. 